Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm, and I'm your host, James Summerley. Hey guys, what an epic episode I have dropping for you this week. So we're talking about artificial organs. So can you grow a beating heart in a laboratory? Could you test cardiac drugs on it? Could you transplant that beating heart into a human being? Well, this week, my guest is Dr. Kevin Costa, and he's co-founder and chief scientific officer at the biotech company Novo Heart. And they are the first company on the planet to have developed miniature beating hearts from human stem cells, which are being used to change the way drugs are able to be screened for cardiac effects. So the company itself has worked on a multi-phase research partnership with Pfizer. They've got filed IP on its proprietary system, which can basically create healthy as well as sick mini hearts and combines organoid data with AI to screen for drug toxicity and efficacy with an exceptionally high degree of accuracy. So as well as his work with Novo Heart, Dr. Costa is also the Associate Professor of Medicine at the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. And Kevin and I have an amazing conversation. I am thoroughly in awe of what they are doing at Novo Heart. We talk about everything from growing the functional heart tissue to even potentially bypassing the need for animal testing in the future. And that's the near future, the further future is potentially putting these things into human beings but you'll hear all about that and more on the episode so if you want to get in touch with us head over to the description of this episode you can find links to our website socials as well as that for kevin costa so guys enjoy the episode so kevin welcome to the hs health tech podcast how you doing thanks james i'm doing all right excellent I'm very well, thank you very well. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Kevin? I'm in Manhattan. Uh, my, my academic lab here is in New York City at uh, Mount Sinai School of Medicine, so I'm here in my office with the door closed. <laughs> oh, very cool. You say a lab. Is that a wet lab? It's a wet lab, yeah. Um, it's in the Department of Medicine and Cardiology here at Mount Sinai, and uh, we do, it's, it's called the Cardiovascular Cell and Tissue Engineering Laboratory, and uh, that's, that's, that's my group. Amazing. What a spoiler alert for the rest of the podcast. So, <laughs> Kevin, obviously we've had a chat before, so I know a little bit about your background, but I'm super excited to get our listeners to hear it. So why don't you tell us your story? Sure. Um, so, um, yeah, my, my background's in, uh, I was trained in biomedical engineering. I actually uh, did my undergraduate, master's, and PhD all in biomedical engineering, which wasn't necessarily the plan to start out, but um, it uh, just sort of captivated me. And uh uh, and my interest was in studying the, how, how the heart works, um, so cardiac me- you know, mechanics in particular, how the heart pump, uh, pumps yeah. and functions as a, as a tissue. Um, and then uh, I, I sort of look at that through um, a, a lens of you know, multiple scales, everything from sub, you know, subcellular level all the way up to whole, how the whole heart functions. And, and in my first uh, faculty position uh, before I came to Mount Sinai here, um, I got interested in, in this idea of tissue engineering. So could you actually um, make heart tissues in the laboratory to, to study and basically give us something that was more physiologic, 
you know, than, than cells on a petri dish, a typical cell culture, but perhaps not as biologically complex as the actual beating heart in, a, in an animal or in a, in a patient. And so mm. we started making these uh, tissues uh, initially from um, cells that would, that would be removed from, an, from a, 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 a rat heart, for example, and then we would mix them up with a matrix material and we could get these cool beating beating um, heart muscles and 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 that's where we first uh, built our, the, the first heart um, this mini heart in a jar kind of thing this mini heart chamber um, and uh, but it was all out of out of rat cells and it, it, it became clear that you know if we could do this out of out of human cells rather than out of animal cells we could really potentially um, impact uh, have a more tra translational impact. We, you know, we could start making predictions of how actually human human hearts function because it turns out that they they're very different from 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 rat hearts or from an animal hearts um, in general. And so, um, in 2009, I, I relocated my lab here to um, to Mount Sinai, um, which is a, a med in a medical school where there was a strong um, human stem cell program. Um, and, uh, and there was also, so one of the colleagues that I met here was, was Ron, Ronald Lee, uh, who is one of the co-founders of Novo Heart. And, and his specialty is in the area of human stem cells and, uh, and, and, and cardiac electrophysiology. So as your uh, listeners probably uh, can appreciate, the heart's a, a pretty complicated organ and, and it, uh, you know, there's a mechanical aspect of how it pumps, um, how the fluid, you know, the blood flows through it, um, but also an electrical component to how the, um, what controls the, the heartbeat and activates the, the tissue. And, and there can be, uh, you know, med medically there are challenges with, with both. You hear about arrhythmias, you hear about hypertrophy. Um, yeah. you know, some of this is the electrical side, some of it is the mechanical side. And often, you know, laboratories will focus on one or the other. And what one of the, you know, sort of serendipitous aspects of this, I guess, was me and Ron coming together and him, you know, suddenly the electrophysiologist and the, and the, the, um, the mechanics uh, guy are, are right there in the, you know, next to each other. And, and, um, and it was, a, uh, you know, that was where we sort of thought, well, look, if we can make these tissues out of human cells, and if we can use them to study both the electrophysiology and the mechanics, this could really be something impactful. Um, and uh, yeah, and so um, we, we started collaborating. He was already working with a woman, Michelle Kine, who was the, the third co-founder um, of Novo Heart. Um, and she's a faculty out in uh, UC Irvine. Um, and her specialty is in uh, microfabrication and, and machine learning and, and some of these uh, sort of te you know, technical uh, aspects that uh, hadn't really been applied to, uh, to the um, heart culture before, but she had been working with Ron for, for a few years because he was out at UC, in, in the UC system before he came to Mount Sinai. And it was, uh, you know, I was excited about having these as, as just sort of a new model system that we could actually you could start thinking about studying, you know, human heart samples in, in the laboratory, which just are yeah. impossible to come by. You know, nobody's donating heart tissue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so of course. You, of need, course. you need whatever you have and whatever you can get, <laughs> it's like a skin sample or something like that. Um, and uh, and in the in the rare cases that you can get heart tissue from, uh, you know, say from an organ donor where the organ can't be used for to save another patient's life life, uh, sometimes there is limited availability to human heart tissue, but it just doesn't last in the laboratory. If it, you know, in, within a couple of days, uh, it, 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 
what they call de-differentiates. It just doesn't survive. Um, and if you're looking at more on the tissue scale, even you know, getting getting the tissue to, to survive for a few hours in the laboratory is challenging. And so, uh, this idea that tissue engineering uh, made out of human um, stem cells uh, can give you access to uh, to human heart tissue on, on a longitudinal scale so you can maintain these things in culture for for days weeks and we, we're finding is even uh, months in, in the laboratory um, and that can give you readouts that are species specific in the sense that they're giving you data that is directly relevant to how human heart tissue functions not how wow. mouse or pig or dog or you know other animals that are essential in in the um in the cardiac research field you sort of need to go through you know often what you know what we know about how the human heart functions is inferred and extrapolated from things that we can study and with with more control um than than human patients uh, <laughs> but it doesn't translate often uh and so we can talk a little more about that i guess in terms of the 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 challenges that that offers for drug discovery. Yeah, I actually, I actually want to go, I actually want to go right back here and I want to make sure that I completely understand this because in your story, it sort of went from, yeah, I was doing some biomedical engineering and tissue engineering. All, all of a sudden you were just then like growing rat hearts just in, in a laboratory. So I just want to pull this right back. So if I had to summarize what you guys do right yep. now is that you grow human heart tissue in yes. a lab and yes. that tissue is not only just a sheet of essentially exactly the same homogenous types of cells. This is yeah. a sheet of cells or actually like a 3D construct of cells that's actually got not only the kind of mechanics, i.e. like the, the, the muscle and the connective yeah. tissue and things like that, but also the essentially the electronics of the heart as well. Yes. So you're actually growing these really complex tissues, which truly simulates what a piece of heart tissue, which contains muscle and contains electric, you know, all these different things. Yeah. And, you, and you're actually growing that in a laboratory. Is that right? That's, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So we can mix this up. So the cells are sort of like the, the building blocks for, you know, for these tissues. Um, and they're the, you know, the main, you know, the main constituent of, of the heart muscle. They're, they're, they're the heart muscle cells, the myocytes, uh, cardiomyocytes are the, are the fundamental unit that, that uh, um, allows the heart to contract. Um, but they also have to be organized relative to one another. The you know, alignment of the cells is critical, mm -hmm. the interconnection of them, the interaction with the so-called extracellular matrix. So the, the collagen and the other types of um, scaffolding that the cells are embedded within. Um, and then um, the, you know, the ability to conduct uh, electricity from one cell to the next is critically dependent on how they're aligned and how they're interconnected. Uh, and then, of course, the the shape of the tissue itself is something that you you know a, a flat layer of tissues versus a, a three dimensional you know piece of muscle that you could imagine you know almost like a little rubber band or something mm. like that that's you know that's uh, that's uh, uh, got that's you know filled with cells and instead of instead of you pulling it it'll pull back on you because yeah. it's actively contracting um, or even a little uh, a little heart chamber so if you're interested in how the heart pumps you need to you needed something that is shaped like a pump and, and, and a, a sheet of cells or, or, or a strip of, of tissue doesn't, doesn't give you that function. So that's where we uh, um, uh, created this, you can think of it as sort of a little hollow um, 
I don't like to call it a balloon because a balloon you have to inflate it. Um, this it's it's sort of a, a hollow you know a hollow chamber, a hollow pump. And as the heart muscle cells contract in the wall of this pump, um, it can eject fluid in this. Oh you know, wow! So you can start estimating ejection fractions and exactly. afterload and preload. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, great. So, so my mind that. now. Use it yet? So I think your your audience is maybe more. I should give them more uh, more credit. Maybe if I'm talking at the <laughs> here. Um, I mean, I think yeah. This is you know the heart, the human heart chamber allows us to give us exactly the kinds of parameters that cardiologists are 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 interested in in terms of cardiac output, ejection fraction, stroke volume, things like this, that you, that you'll, you'll go to a cardiologist and have, have a report, you know, based on your heart function. It's all about the pump. How effectively does your yeah. heart pump? Um, and so we built a human heart pump in order to, so, it's a, so, so, I mean, I'm, I'm going to jump around in this podcast a bit just because I find this so interesting. Obviously, with my background as, you know, anesthetics and ICU, I, okay. you know, understand the cardiovascular system far less than I used to since I've not practiced <laughs> for a while, but I, I still have a decent understanding of it. So let's say someone has a, an MI, so a heart attack, part, mm -hmm. of, their heart's, part of their heart dies, and mm -hmm. they're going to be in cardiac failure for the rest of their life. Their heart's going to balloon, you know, all these different things because this mm -hmm. dead tissue is causing all sorts of problems. Do you see the day then where you're just taking some stem cells, growing some of their own heart back and then swapping it out for the dead bit of heart? Is that something that you could see in the future? Uh, yeah, I think it, it's the future of regenerative medicine, um, whether it's swapping it out or somehow augmenting or replacing that damaged scar oh, interesting, tissue yeah, yeah. with, with living tissue. So the whole field of regenerative medicine, you know, using stem cells to, uh, to recreate tissue that isn't, that can't heal on its own, uh, yeah. right? um is of, is of course a huge a huge area um so and and when you start making these complex you know heart tissues you can't help but start thinking about those kinds of applications right i mm. mean it's really and in fact you know that's where the field was originally you know heading uh mm. was originally focused um and what we were finding was that we have these you know these amazingly complex and sophisticated you know uh you know human tissues that that aren't ready to be implanted yet they don't have a, a vasculature they don't have yeah. you know they're not thick enough really to contribute to the ejection of a of a human heart you know yeah. millimeters of mercury or whatever pressure that has to generate but they're remarkably you know you know qualitatively remarkably similar to to human heart tissue the so the almost the lower you know hanging fruit in a way was to start start taking advantage of those similarities um in the laboratory for these kinds of screening applications and, 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 and therapeutic development. Um, but of course, also with, you know, in the, in the back of our minds, the idea that at some point this could be a therapeutic itself, right? And this could yeah, be some repair, repair heart tissue. And so, so part of, you know, Nova Heart's been going through a bit of an expansion phase recently. Our, our bread and butter is this, um, these assays that are used for, you know, for screening and, and, and drug development. Um, but of course, as, as a company, we're interested in pushing earlier into the drug discovery uh, process. And so, mm. um, so if, if we can actually, uh, you know, um, start to start to uh, you know, ha ha get involved in, in the early phases of, of development, where we would have yeah. some ownership to to a, to a drug that might go into the market, and we're we're doing that through through some partnerships that that we'll be uh, announcing. Um, 
And then also this idea of being able to make clinical grade cells and tissues. And so we did announce earlier this summer a partnership with a company called Celera Therapeutics, uh, where we'll be um, opening the uh, first clinical grade uh, GMP facility in Hong Kong um, as a stem cell uh, haplobank so that we can start wow. making cells that are, you know, and tissues that are of clinical grade, you know, again, looking, this is still, you know, I think, I think the day that we start implanting um, tissues into, into humans is still, is still years away. Um, <laughs> cool. but, uh, but it's, it's clearly, uh, you know, on everybody's radar screen. Yeah. It's for me, it's just fun to talk to someone that's genuinely on that path, you know? So yeah. I guess w- what I'd like to know then is, so from a, from a working with pharma companies point of view, you mentioned mm-hmm. at the start that this is human cells and you put a, a lot of emphasis on the fact that this is not rat cells. This is mm-hmm. not, porcine cells anything like that you know this these are human cells and obviously that's because through the clinical trial process that's kind of how you 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 go upwards from rats to rabbits to pigs to humans right in in and i'm sure there are lots of others that that i'm not sure but obviously the value of this being a load of human cells made up in a, a fully functioning seemingly or at least partly functioning cardiac tissue means that these drug companies must be able to test all sorts of different things They're happy with it going into a human without actually putting it into a human right so they the, the business model must have been pretty clear as you were developing this mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think um i think there's two aspects that uh that are um enabled by this by this kind of a technology and so uh just briefly right so as as you alluded there's um the this you know 10 years of development and going from a, a compound of interest to actually getting into a clinical trial and then you know there's a one in 10 chance that that drug once it's in clinical trials is actually going to succeed and, and become, yeah. become a product and and you know two billion dollars later um you yeah. just you figure out that that things didn't work like you expected and, and the thing fails. And so, so clearly there's a huge economic uh, incentive to make that process more efficient. And, and I, you know, what we identified and you know, we're not the only ones, this is, you know, well appreciated is that there's sort of this leap of faith that, that you have to make in, in, in testing things in increasingly complex systems. So you start off with cells in a dish and then you move into more complex things like mice or you know, larger animals that are presumably more representative of humans, but um, but you still have to take that leap of faith of going from uh, your animal study, your 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 highest order preclinical trial, to actually getting these into patients in a t- phase one clinical trial. Yeah. And that is, you know, exciting and terrifying <laughs> at the same time, one, right? Yeah. Um, and so, um, so what we we see uh, our technology is being able to provide is is two things. One is is sort of a bridge over that leap of faith. If we can if we can provide something that earlier on in the process gives you data on how the you know, how these drugs how these compounds will work in a in a in a legitimately human you know human based system um, and uh, a human based heart system um, that's that's valuable and the second part is is you know if it doesn't work the first time if if you've tried it in patients and your and your trial fails you're sort of dead in the water. I mean, you, you, you don't get a lot of second chances in, in that case, um, both because of an investment standpoint, you know, you lose value um, and, and, and the cost of, of, of you know, restarting that whole process. What we feel is that if we could get that sort of data earlier on in the process in a human-based system where 
it's okay to fail if, if mm. it fails in that system, but it still looks promising and you need to go back to your medicinal chemist and sort of reformulate the, the compound or something like that. You can do that and test it again and refine it in the human system before you actually go to humans that, you know, this remains to be proven, but concept, you know, concept wise, this seems like a, a smart approach um, into improving this, this whole drug development pipeline. And, and, you know, where we've been fortunate, the, I think pharma's buying into that and we've been, uh, you know, we've been working with a number of big, uh, big groups uh, as well as some smaller, um, smaller companies to, uh, to, uh, prove this <laughs> yeah it's cool man so i mean i i spoke recently to um in fact it probably wasn't so recently anymore time flies but <laughs> a company what well, was a startup out of imperial college london that had essentially created something similar but for dermatology not mm -hmm. necessarily using stem cells but mm -hmm. they, they you know they created something that that mimicked skin that people mm -hmm. could use and, and and you know you look at the financials of a company like that and it all looks pretty rosy as soon as you start involving the pharma companies mm -hmm. because, you know, obviously they're spending such big bucks to yeah. go through clinical trials that they just want to make sure that they can, they can, you know, mitigate it at every, every point possible. And, and yeah. when you can offer them tissue that isn't actually human, but behaves like human that, that comes in much cheaper and, and stuff, you know, it must be, as I say, a simple business model once you get there, but I can only imagine what it must be like in cardiac for all of the, all of the drug companies that are obviously trying to develop drugs in that field and, and obviously all the benefit that that can have for humanity as well, that it, it must be a pretty fertile ground with quite a lot going on and quite a lot of use cases for uh, the drugs to be tested. Yeah, well, you bring up a good point, James. I mean, it's not, um, there's sort of two, you can sort of think of this in two buckets in a way, right? We, you've got, um, if you're interested in, <clears throat> if you're interested in developing drugs for the heart, then you need to have a model of of the heart to test them on the yeah. heart and and in particular you know we're not interested in curing healthy hearts you need to cure you know cure diseased hearts and so a lot yeah. of what, um what uh, uh nova heart is, is focusing on is what we call disease you know disease modeling does developing new um in vitro models of different diseases and we just published some some work and uh and had a webinar a couple of weeks ago on this uh, disease called friedrich's ataxia it's a it's oh, a yeah. relatively rare neuromuscular um uh disease that impacts um the heart, heart function and we were able to show in partnership with pfizer uh, that um that we could develop our assays um uh with cells either um, using gene editing or um, or other you know genetic manipulation to to simulate the the disease wow. in the tissue or to or to um, or to take you know cells from a patient that has this disease uh, and recreate the tissue in the laboratory and show that we could um, that we could uh, demonstrate those those abnormal phenotypes so that wow. those, so, so you so can literally build a model with Friedrich's ATAX, you could build a model yeah. heart, a model functioning, pumping bit of tissue that yep. genuinely has Friedrich's ataxia built into it. That's right. That's right. Uh, and, and the, the, you know, the, there are mouse models uh, of Friedrich's ataxia, but they don't recapitulate some of the key yeah. phenotypes. And so again, the, this idea of the animals not predicting the human function was, was a real challenge in, in this area. And so, so that's an important uh, area of development for Novo Heart. And so that, but that's, you know, it's a rare disease. Um, it, for the people with that disease, it's the most important thing that we could be doing. But of course, in terms of a, a, a bigger impact, it, you know, it, the 
the, the disease modeling is, is just one is one aspect of what we do. Well, of course, the other yeah. the other component is that if if you're not interested in curing heart disease at all, um, you're interested in curing cancer, you're interested in uh, curing arthritis or something like that. One of the things you need to worry about is that if your drug is a wonderful cancer drug, but it um, but it causes arrhythmias or causes you know uh, abnormal heart function, that's not going to make it through you know, through the yeah. clinical trials either, and and that's not going to benefit patients in the end. And so this idea of the toxicity uh, testing is another important component. And so here we make our assays from healthy human cells, um, and we test compounds for for cardiotoxicity. Um, oh, I, when I, I when I mentioned that one out of ten you know drugs actually makes it through the cl- clinical trials process, so nine out of ten are failing. Um, one of the um, most common reasons for that failure is cardiotoxicity, so abnormal, unanticipated effects on how the heart functions. And so that's the other, you know, sort of. Oh bucket. wow! So any drug that yeah. is making its way through clinical trials, you guys can just test it, no matter what it's doing. You guys right. can just test it to see how it's going to actually affect human hearts without actually needing to put it into a human. That's right. That's right. Amazing. What's your role within the company? Uh, well, so I was one of the scientific co-founders, and I also am the chief scientific officer for Dr. Hart. And what does that mean on a practical level? <laughs> that means a lot of meetings. <laughs> What's your day today? <laughs> you just sit and do podcasts all day, Kevin. Is this your life now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it means a lot of meetings. So, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm guiding the scientific directions of the of the uh, of the. Uh, company. Um, I'm fortunate to um, have a, a I, I, like I said, I, I have a full-time job uh, in an academic lab as well. So I'm very yeah. fortunate. Uh, we have a, um, a chief uh, research and development chief R&D officer as well, Bernard Fermini, who spent uh, 17 years in, uh, in industry in, with, with Pfizer in their, um, in their um, uh, safety pharmacology um, area. So he brings a very important sort of you know, client perspective. Um, and in fact, it's an interesting story. We, we first met Bernard um, when Ron and I were trying to shop around our, you know, nascent technology to <laughs> farmers and see if people would buy in and get excited about this. And we went up to Groton in, in Connecticut and met with Bernard and he was uh, heading up their, uh, their um, cardiotox uh, program there. And, um, and he was like, you know, it looks good, but how do we know this is really going to work? Let's, why don't we set up a little study here, set up a little trial, a blinded study, where we'll send you some of Pfizer's compounds and not tell you what they are. And you tell us what your, you know, what your assays. Oh, cool. And, and we were like, this was another one of those, you know, exciting and terrifying of opportunities. Yeah. Cause we, you know, of course, we had spent a lot of time, you know, developing this, but it was really, uh, it was sort of a, you know, make or break you yeah, know, at some point you've got to do that, haven't you? At some yeah, point you've just yeah. got to you've just got to close your eyes and just trust yep. it. Yep. And yeah. uh, we ended up, uh, you know, correctly predicting fifteen of the seventeen compounds, and so both sides were really nice. That. You know, thing nothing's perfect, but um, but that uh, that worked out well. And in the end, you know, three years later or something like that, uh, Bernard ended up uh, joining Novahart and uh, and uh, serves as our C- chief R and D officer. And so yeah, so between the two of us, he tends to. Um, guide more of the uh, the essay, um, you know, refinement and making sure our, our essays are tailored to what uh, what uh, pharma clients are looking for, and and is um, taking a lead on the, the disease development mm. and 
biological components. Um, I tend to focus more on what we have a, a, a smaller um, engineering team uh, in, in, uh, in Novo Heart and, um, and that's focused on um, the um, the technology development in terms of hardware and software, you know, different bioreactors to create new uh, new assays and to improve our ability to control and measure uh, the function of these tissues and and using techniques like machine learning to um, to uh, maximize the amount of information that we can get from these uh, increasingly um, mm. you know, sophisticated assays um, and automate that that uh, drug classification process and so forth. So so I'm I tend to focus. More more on the technology um, side, and Bernard focuses on the on the biology side, and together we you know we guide the uh, you know the scientific good direction. Partnership, yeah, it's a good partnership. Yeah. And it's great having you know Ron, the CEO, um, also being being a scientist. Um, it just really helps us all sort of be on the same page. Yeah, uh, in terms of where you know how how to how to grow the company. Yeah, and that actually leads me on quite nicely to to my next question or my next point really, which is that. I think what you guys are, have done so, so, so well is that you've turned really, really heavy academia into a commercial business. And you've done that really quickly as well, because <laughs> you established in 2014. Is that right? Yes. And and now your public company, you've got a number of contracts, you've got partnerships with likes of Pfizer, you're doing all this stuff. It's all gone very, very quickly. It seems that you've married the science and the business extremely well. And obviously the team is a massive component of that. What else do you think has led to you guys being so successful and seemingly finding product market fit just so quickly and, and so well? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, um, when when we first started this out, uh, I, I you know I was excited for what these tissues could offer from a scientific perspective, and it was really Ron that had the the vision that this could be you know this could be a company. Uh, I, I you know neither one of us really had any business experience, yeah. <laughs> um, but we sort of tr you trusted that um, that the science was was exciting, and when we when we sort of you know went to meetings and you know things like this people were you know really excited about it and uh, and it seemed to have some real potential and so i think part of it is you know that long history of of solid science this isn't like a a new device that people aren't quite sure if it's going to work or if it's not going to work or it looks cool but you know how, you know is it really going to have an impact we had you know 20 years of of development really um so you say the company evolved quickly it, it did i mean we you know, the concept of it was almost 10 years ago. And so there was probably about five years of sort of bringing it from an initial idea to actually the found, founding of the company in 2014. Yeah. Okay. That makes five sense. Years. Um, and then, um, but once we, you know, once we got that is established, um, our, you know, one of our first challenges was, was bandwidth on our side. The, the reception <laughs> from, from pharma was really strong and we were, we were sort of, Turning away customers at a point because we didn't we didn't feel like we had the the bandwidth and the capacity to to do a good job with the with yeah uh, you know our, our top priority was our first contract has to be a really good and successful one and yeah. that's where we ended up you know choosing to partner with Pfizer um, did that blinded study we thought that was going to be really critical and and sort of uh, prove um, you know prove one way or the other if if, if Novohart's claims could do what we what we claimed it could do. <laughs> Um, and so again, just making sure the science is solid and I think it, it sort of sells itself and in, as the company has grown and, and we've been able to publish these, uh, these successes, um, 
more more companies uh, you know we were able to go back to to some of the early interests and 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 uh and and generate generate new ones so a lot of you know feet on the ground and going out there and knocking on doors mm -hmm. and trying to get get um folks interested um luckily through our own academic careers we've you know we've developed a network and and, ha and have contacts in this area um yeah. and then and and more recently um as the company has expanded we were able to hire uh so bill williams is a uh, uh, vice uh, president for um uh for uh bus business development and he uh, had a similar role at um a company called organovo that was sort of in a similar space but uh, focused on liver um and mm. liver uh, screening uh and so um so for you know for personal reasons he was uh, his family was was um you know was suffered a, a personal tragedy related to 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 heart um heart disease oh, wow. and he wanted to he was really inspired to to get involved with a, a company like Novo Heart and he's just been phenomenal uh at uh at uh, at, at contacting you know companies and reaching out and yeah. we, like I said we had this webinar a couple of weeks ago and and you know and getting out there and uh, we had our, our first uh, um, you know, sort of uh, what do you call it like a company exhibit a booth at, mm. at, uh, at an international meeting uh, not this past summer but the summer before and so that was really exciting to really you know kind of be out there with the big boys and <laughs> <laughs> but the reception was and, and people have been really Really excited about it. Um, you know, the the questions have gone from you know, can this really work? To you know, how many can you measure? <laughs> yeah. And can we get it into our own into our own hands <laughs> rather than yeah. rather than you you doing it for us? So yeah, I think uh, I think part of it is is timing. You know, we've, yeah, it's funny you talk about you know personal tragedy giving somebody the motivation to do it. We talk about it all the time over here yeah. at, at HS. You know, and we're looking at companies and we look at the co-founders. And I mention it on this podcast almost every week. You know, when you find people that are just so motivated through their own personal experience, they will yeah. wake up every single day and they're going to, they're going to do more cold calls than anybody else. They're going to yeah. run through more brick walls than anybody else because at the end of the day, they've just found something that they found their purpose and they found what they want to go and do. And actually yeah. they are just so motivated to succeed. And it is such a wonderful quality in a founder of a company that you just know that they are going to do absolutely everything that they can to make something work. It's something that, you know, even when you're looking for co-founders as an entrepreneur, you know, if you find somebody like that and you can harness that energy to yeah. and focus yeah. it down into your company, it's just, it's just completely invaluable. You know, it's so difficult to put a value on it because of what they'll go and do. Yeah. Passion I think is something that yeah. can be trained. That has to come from oh, completely inside. agree. So, yeah, yeah. Completely agree. My next question is around the potential of this in the future. And... As you've been talking, you know, I, I've I've thought of these 3D models that are that are actually contracting and pumping with heart mm -hmm. tissue. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of other complex tissue and and whether this is actually going on in other sectors. So I think about something like renal tissue, you know, kidney mm -hmm. kidney tissue and nephrons and how complex the biochemistry is. Are there other companies doing that sort of thing? Is that something that you would look into doing in the future? Tell me about the space and what's going on. The space is big. I mean, there's the the whole uh, you know microphysiologic systems, uh, you know t this uh, you know tissue on a chip or human on a chip. You know this idea of being able to create surrogates for for human tissue is definitely you know this is a hugely active area of, re of research right now. Uh, in terms of 
translating that into uh, profitable companies. Uh, you know, again, there's increasing numbers of, of these companies. Um, I think they're still relative. It's still a very you know quickly growing area. Um, yeah, I mentioned yeah. Organovo that was doing this with liver. Um, there are com other companies that are doing it with you know with brain, etc. Um, I think typically these companies are are specializing because they're coming from a background of you know like. Novo Heart. We were we were heart guys, and so we yeah. focus on the heart. But we very much appreciate the fact that you know a, a patient, you know how something behaves in a patient's heart is not necessarily how something behaves in a heart in isolation. Even if we could have that patient's heart out in in our in our bench top, mm. um, there's sort of a systems level you know complexity uh, of an integrated response that is the heart doesn't work in isolation as you said right we're all connected through the our circulation to, to different uh, various organs and then there are cases where the um, you know a compound itself may not be uh, toxic to the heart but uh, some metabolic byproducts might might um, might have a, have cardiotoxicity and so uh, for example after it's been processed through the liver um, then, uh, then that would uh, have a have a uh, you know a risk for for mm. um, arrhythmias or something, and so um, so we're very much you know aware <laughs> of that, um, and through our you know mainly through our academic um, you know labs and, and collaborators, um, Ron and I both have uh, you know collaborations with with experts in in these sort of uh, complementary uh, areas, and so the way Novohard has sort of strategically you know position ourselves to um, to take advantage of this, uh, you know, and, 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 and as we move forward, is that some of the, um, some, you know, some of the technologies that we're developing, like these bioreactors that um, instead of, you know, just having one heart, you know, organoid pumping on its own, uh, we have a system now that we can sort of, uh, in, a, in a modular way, um, plug four, you know, four hearts together and, and so to start to increase the throughput of the system and then stack multiple of these units so we can get eight or 12 or 16. Um, so these are, you know, the, the heart, the, the organs can, can function indiv individually or, um, you know, we're designing the system so that they can also talk to each other through, uh, through a fluidic channel, almost oh, like wow. a population. Um, and then the idea is that this is developed in a way that's, that's, um, flexible enough that if one of those, instead of having four hearts, if we had, a mini heart and a mini liver and a mini brain; um, those could be interconnected and kind of have a little mini, mini me, little mini, right, little mini human um, in, a, in a in a system here uh, with the key with the key organs talking to each other. Um, I, you know, and so the way Novohard is is thinking of this is it, it would be through you know partnership. We we, we want to you know we don't want to we appreciate that uh, you know what we do with the heart. Um, is, is quite specialized and uh, mm. and likewise somebody working in the same space in the liver and the brain you know mm. we're not you know we recognize how specialized that is as well um, and so we see that it's you know through a partnership um, uh, or uh, MA or something like that that would be more um, more reasonable to uh, and it makes to, a load of sense doesn't it yeah. for the when you when you consider the customers in your case who are the pharma companies that obviously yeah. don't just want to test if something's toxic to the heart or they don't yeah. just want to test you know the effects on the heart they obviously just want to 
test the effect in in the whole body and more the more of you that come together to then form that conglomerate the more the more bits that you can put into the mini me that gets tested on i mean yeah what an offer that would be then to to the drug companies that that have the ability to test that toxicity on all the major organs and yeah wow i mean the sky's the limit there if you keep going with that i think you really do start to the approach the reality of bypassing animal testing you know we're getting to wow. know, if you can start to have those sort of integrated responses um you're really talking about a, a system here that um that could be you know drastically reduce or even eliminate the need for experimental animals in the process that you know they're as important as they are they just they don't you know well, it's a stepping stone, isn't it? It's, it's not, it's, yeah, it, you yeah. know, it's it not, you can't call it essential yeah. because at the end of the day, it's just going to be going to humans. So you just need to, it's just a way of making it safer before it gets to humans, isn't it? Right. Whereas if you can right. find that through something that then doesn't have to harm animals, I mean, all the better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got another question then before, before we start wrapping up, but sure. about academia and moving into business, you mentioned that, you know, you didn't have much experience, business experience, but you know, within the team that, you, you obviously did and you found it and you brought it all together. I mean, what advice do you have for the academics listening that might be, I don't know, they might be writing their thesis for their PhD and they've got something that they might want to commercialize either with the university or without the university or, mm-hmm. you know, postdocs that are, that are working on stuff and they might want to start a business. What advice do you have in general for people in that situation mm-hmm. based on what you've gone through in, in eventually starting your business, which, which has just flown and taken off? I mean, I think this sort of uh, a couple of things. One is to you know to believe in in what what you're what you're offering. If you if you think you've got an idea that has commercial uh, potential, it really will be up to you to to see that through. Um, and you know you need to take advice from uh, from from people in, in in the area, but it isn't necessarily just the advice from your own tech transfer office or mm. you know whatever. I would be. I would be as uh, um, uh, really network and, 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 and try to plug into a, co- a community of entrepreneurship that uh, will allow you to sort of test test the waters. Um, we found that our you know at Mount Sinai the you know the technology transfer office was actually pretty um, pretty proactive compared to where I was where I was previously, and, and so um, so they were very you know supportive of us being able to to move forward but yet it was up to us to identify who potential customers were and, and, and ultimately put the business model you know together and and, and, and and finally license you know license the technology from the university um, different uh, different institutions have different policies on, on licensing as well and just make sure you're keeping the you know the best interest of the company is sort of important to, mm. you know to keep at the at the forefront um, it does. You know, it can be a little bit challenging. You can you can certainly productize or license your you know your technology to to someone else to another company versus starting a starting you know spinning something out yourself. Um, again, the, the inst- different institutions vary, and Sinai has been very generous in being able to allow me you know to spend uh, tw- you know twenty percent of my time working on on Novohard. Um, and, and, and still keeping my full-time position here at, at Mount Sinai. Uh, it means I don't sleep much. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's my choice, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's also really important, I think, to manage the, you know, the potential conflicts of interest. I mean, it's really, you, you really have to be careful there and what, you know, what sources of funding are and that you're, 
you're, you know, we, my lab runs on NIH funding primarily, and, and that we're not using NIH funding for developing, you know, um, uh, technologies, you know, for NovaHard or people aren't in the lab working for the company and that kind of stuff. That's really critical. And, and with something like the heart in the jar, that was a, you know, I ended up giving up that research component um, in order for NovaHard to take that over because I wanted to to keep that completely separate from what was mm. going on in my lab. And so, you know, that was kind of a big decision as well, but I think it was the right decision. And, um, and uh, yeah, and it's just been a wild ride. I mean, I have to say most, you know, often when you speak to entrepreneurs, it's, uh, it's the people who have tried and failed that, you know, that are the ones to learn the most from. And, and, you know, on our first try, a lot of things have gone right. We've been very, <laughs> very fortunate. And so, um, so, uh, you know, I don't know that that's, the way I think that's not typically the way it happens, but um, but you know we've been we've been very lucky and 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 just pu- you know pushing hard and, and believing in the vision. Yeah, and in the, in those in those early days of trying to move it from academia to a commercial entity, do you feel like the doors were very much open for you to do that, and that was a relatively straightforward thing to do, or was there a lot of pushback, a lot of different conversation, difficult conversations, and things like that? How how easy or difficult was that bit when you when you initially made the decision and started making those first moves? Because I'm at, I just imagine that's one of the most difficult bits for for entrepreneurs, especially if they start you know getting barriers thrown up or future entrepreneurs that they're, they're currently academics you know when they get the, the barriers thrown up initially I mean was that your experience that being difficult to begin with so the first the first time I started you know my first IP my first patent application was at, at another institution that really was like okay if you think this is interesting good luck and uh, and really didn't provide a lot of support in that area so it wasn't so much barriers that were put up as much as my own naivete or lack, you know, lack of information that I didn't, I didn't know how to bring it forward. And so, um, so Mount Sinai, you know, I think the, as an institution, um, they've done, you know, it's been a little bit of both. I think that, you know, they've, they've been very, you know, proactive. I think they're increasingly offering, you know, opportunities to train faculty in, in entrepreneurship and try to, you know, help, 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 faculty understand what, you know, the process and how to, how to make it, um, you know, move forward. And so um, for the most part, I think they were, they were receptive and, you know, the, mm. you know, the Dean of the medical school here, you know, I, he didn't have to get, you know, allow me to, you know, to, 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 to take on this position. And so I've been very fortunate in, in that, in that way. Um, so it does but, seem to me then that the common thread in in moving from academia to commercializing mm-hmm. is surrounding yourself with the right people. And that could be completely by luck that you're at a, a, an institution like Mount Sinai that offers loads mm-hmm. of support. But beyond that, it's actually about finding people and putting them around you that understand the business element, that understand that commercialization element, whilst you might be the expert academically at the at the product or at the technology or you know whatever it is on on, on that level it seems to be the common thread is surrounding yourself with the right people and making real effort I, I think to do the so. right people is key. So the team at Nova Heart is I think one of our strongest assets. We all really work together very well. Ron, you know, Ron had this, uh, this vision for, for the company having never done anything entrepreneurial himself. And he just, it's like, he didn't worry about the details or he didn't, <laughs> in a way he didn't, you know, he thought this, you know, the science was really what had to be right. And the other stuff will sort of fall into place. And I think he's, you know, grown tremendously as CEO of the company. I think a scientist isn't necessarily the best CEO, but he's he's really you know 
developed into this role remarkably. I, I, I'm, I'm so impressed by, by that. I think, I think a company or, or a scientist who's starting to, to branch out um, shouldn't necessarily be, uh, you know, wanting to take on all, all of the different <laughs> responses. Focus on what, you've, what you're excited about and what you feel like is your expertise, but don't be afraid to bring in others with the right expertise. And that's where, you know, bringing in somebody like, like Bernard or like Bill or, some, you know, some of our, our other management um, who have the expertise in, in finance or in business development and so forth. Those are, the, those are the folks that you want to surround yourself with to make sure the business side goes well. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, the, the team is, is, is critical. And then increasingly, I think the culture, New York City has been not, you know, traditionally a biotech hub. Um, and I think the whole entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem here in New York has been uh, expanding and, and improving over the last, you know, five, 10 years. And so we've, uh, again, you know, timing wise, we've plugged into this at a, at a time where there's, uh, you know, growing interest and support um, uh, locally, as well as, you know, as well as, you know, being an international company, um, we've, we've benefited very much from Funding from the from the Hong Kong government to help to um, where they saw biotechnology as a as a key growth area for uh, for, for their economy um, and uh, yeah yeah it's uh, I don't know what to say about that <laughs> <laughs> you guys have just done so well man like it's 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 a really it's a really nice story I mean it's I get my final question then we haven't got much time left but if I can just steal an extra couple of minutes from you sure. my final question is how did you bring investors along with you on this journey? Was it quite simple in that you were telling such a compelling story within biotech that you got these investors on? Because of, often the most difficult thing is to, is to you know, raise the money to even make something even slightly viable or build the MVP and things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. what, what did that journey look, for you, look like for you guys? Because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the maths here. You know, in five years, you've gone from idea to, you know, floating so it's 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 a it's a quick journey so yeah tell me just tell me a little bit about that raising money journey that you went on so you know there was a lot of meeting with people who didn't quite get it uh, you know tailoring our story that it, so that is as fundamental as the science is it also you need to get a message across and what you know what's the big picture and what do you envision is your you know mission and and and, and key milestones and things like that and just mm -hmm. sort of you know, speaking the, speaking the same language, uh, making sure, you know, making that transition from our, our science meetings and that kind of stuff to, to talking to investors. And so, you know, there were plenty of doors that were you know, <laughs> slammed in our face exactly, but uh, it, it, was, it wasn't all rosy and it was a lot of, you know, pavement pounding and, 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 uh, and trying to do these road shows and stuff like that and get investors excited. Um, you know, we, we have, I think it is a, a compelling story. And as soon as, you know, of course, we always bring, you know, to these meetings, like little videos and stuff like that, because there's nothing like seeing these, these tissues actually beating and pumping. It's, you know, most cell culture, you see cells on a dish and you're like, okay, what kind of cell is that? You can't really, it doesn't really talk to you in a way. And, and, and when you see a little beating heart chamber and you say, this is a, you know, this is a human heart that we've made. Um, it gets your attention and kind of kind of uh, stokes the imagination, and so that works works to our advantage. And I would encourage your your you know podcast listeners to take a look at the Noble Heart website and see some of the videos and things that we have there. I think it really will help 
just also say we were, you know, through uh, you know personal connections in Hong Kong and so forth as well. You know, Ron had um, some angel investors that were have been very committed to Novo Heart and uh, and have gone through a couple a couple of rounds of, of support with them, and it's just been a tremendous you know tremendous support from them as well. So I don't want to you know we, we've been very very lucky that way too. Yeah, sure. I mean, as I say, I, I say this so much on this podcast. You do make your own luck, and so by you know by bringing people in with those backgrounds and with those networks, you know, I last uh, in fact a few weeks ago now, I um, I interviewed Butterfly, uh, the the new kind of ultrasound company. They've raised mm-hmm. two hundred fifty million from the Lights of the Gates Foundation, mm-hmm. but you know Darius their chief of staff was brought in you know not least because he'd worked in healthcare hedge funds and just mm. had you know wonderful black book and he said as a side project he raised 250 million dollars for them whilst mm. he was doing a harvard mba mm-hmm. so yes by all means uh, by all means you can call things luck and a lot of people do for i guess for for, for because they are humble and modest but yeah it when, when you have a black book and you come across people with that black book it's uh, it can be really important to bring those people yes. in because it's a people game right now with with technology being so commoditized and um yeah the defensibility of humans is 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 on networks at the moment i think and, and the amount of people that people can know so yeah i i definitely wouldn't play that down hmm. Um, cool, man. So, yeah, we've run out of time. It's gone so quickly, but it's because I'm super interested in what you do. I think it's absolutely incredible. I love the science behind it. I love the fact that I love the fact that as a business, you you just solve the problem so quickly, and you solve the problem for people that had a lot of money to pay you for that solution as well. So it was a really fertile market you went into. And understandably, you had a huge amount of growth and you've got to where you are now, which I think is awesome. So congratulations on that, first of all. And I guess the final thing to say is that the way that we end these podcasts is I hand back over to you to summarize a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you're up to at Novo Heart and to close us out with any asks that you've got of our audience. So by all means, sir, take it away. Uh, Thanks, James. I'm Kevin Costa. I'm a uh, Chief Scientific Officer and Co-Founder of uh, NovoHeart, which is a, a biotechnology company focused on uh, revolutionizing the drug development process through uh, stem cells and tissue engineering. Uh, we focus on making human heart tissue in the laboratory for drug development and expanding into therapeutics and devices uh, related to, to these uh, this mission and uh, i would encourage your listeners to uh to take a look at our, our website um novaheart.com n-o-v-o-h-e-a-r-t.com um we're in a growth phase right now and we're looking for both uh investors and uh we have some open positions as well so um if people feel excited about this and want to learn more please uh, please follow up awesome very cool company love it love what you're doing and i definitely agree if uh, if you're interested in the, in this stuff then head over to their website and if people want to contact you kevin can they get you on linkedin or do they email you what's the best way yeah linkedin or email uh, kevin.costa at novoheart.com uh, that'd be great perfect thanks a lot kevin thanks james hey everybody and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.